Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... see, as we're going to see, he has a very unique struggle that he's going through in this section of the letter, and it's not his problems, although his problems are real, because his problem is simply this, his struggle is simply this, is that each fork in the crossroad has Christ. If I live, it's Christ. If I die, Christ. If Caesar lets me out of jail, Christ. If Caesar cuts my head off, Christ. To live is Christ and to die is gain. In today's message, Pastor Jim will be teaching about the moment when the Apostle Paul is in jail, facing the crossroads of life and death. As he writes this letter to the Philippians, he confidently shares his understanding of life. If he lives, it is for Christ, and if he dies, even better, it's Christ for eternity. With that perspective, Paul shows us how to have joy in the crossroads. He had a lifestyle of a foreigner in this world. He had a way of living that saw beyond the grave. Now let's open our Bibles and join Pastor Jim for part one of his message entitled, Joyful Crossroads. We'll have more information about the church and how you can get a copy of today's message, but for now, here's Pastor Jim. All right, I'm gonna ask you a question. You don't need to answer out loud, although I know for a lot of you, the answer is yes. Are you at a crossroad in your life? Are you at a place where you're trying to figure out what it is that you're going to do? Or maybe your life has just entered a new phase and you're not exactly sure what that is going to entail. Maybe you're at a point of a critical decision right now. You're here this morning and you're praying and you're hoping that God would give you some sort of wisdom. Perhaps you're at a point in your life, and those of you in the corporate world know this all too well, where the decision is going to be made for you. You don't have a choice. You're just going to have to go along with the decision that's made. Maybe the decision or the crossroad of your life right now is out of your hands. It is completely out of your control. Now, if that's you, I want to challenge you with this question. Who do you trust? Do you trust yourself? You know, a lot of times with ourselves, we just pick what seems right at the moment, right? Or we pick the path of least resistance, A lot of times we just pick what's best for me, and then we forget about everybody else. Do you trust the person who's making the decision for you? Maybe if you work at a larger company, the higher-ups, do you trust them? Do you trust our government? Now, what about Jesus? Do you trust Jesus to make the best decision for you? Here in the book of Philippians, the epistle of Philippians, the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, he's at a crossroad that we live at every single day of our life. It's the crossroad of life and death. I can guarantee you today, at the end of the day, you will either be dead or alive. Physically. I can't speak for spiritually for all of us. The Apostle Paul is in jail. He is writing while in jail. He's either awaiting a trial or he's waiting a sentencing. And 
Amazingly enough, he is what the young people refer to as he is so chill. He doesn't seem worried about it at all. He is cool, calm, and collected. His thoughts are very, very clear. He's writing to a church that he has founded 10 years ago. It's now about 30 years after Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He started this church in Philippi, northern Greece, a couple hundred miles away. Most scholars think he's in Rome right now. And amazing that though he is in jail, though he doesn't know his future, he's leaving it all in the hands of God. He is, the title of this morning's message, at the joyful crossroads. And this section ends the introduction section of the book of Philippians. Uh, Nobody asked me when they did the chapters and verses. That's not inspired. People made it easier for us to find. But this might be a more appropriate end to chapter 1. And we're getting into the apostle's head, if you will. It's a very personal section. And we're seeing how he thinks and how his thinking leads to his thriving in the Christian life particularly at the crossroads, a crossroad that is out of his control. Now, if you're taking notes, three things we want to note of his thinking this morning. And the first is that the apostle has a philosophy of life. He has a philosophy of life. For some of you, it might be on a coffee mug, might be on one of those happy calendars on your desk or on your refrigerator. Uh, Maybe you have it at work. But it is something that we need to really understand what it is before we go around touting what he says. He says in verse 21, which in many ways is sort of a a mission statement of his life, he says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, we often talk here in Calvary Chapel about the tensions that we need to keep when we are reading and understanding the Bible. And a lot of times, if we don't hold the tension, we end up on one side or the other and not holding it tightly the way the Lord would have us to do it. For a lot of people, I think it's too easy when things are going poorly, when things are not going the way you want it to go, it's too easy for us to default to the second half of this verse, to die is gain. A big concern of mine with Christians is sometimes our lack of ability to enjoy life. And then we wonder why people don't want to come into our folds. So I can be miserable like you. It really serves no attraction to me at all. I don't mean to be judgmental, but you look miserable. You look like a bunch of sourpusses. Eeyore Christians you look like. I don't want to be that. I want to be Tigger. I want to be bouncing all over the place, enjoying life. I don't want to be like, oh, I'm going to church, Boo Bear. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. And too often, I think a lot of Christians kind of have the attitude when things are not going well, oh, come back, Lord Jesus. You know, I just want to die. You know, what's the point of all this? It's all going to burn anyway. Really positive and uplifting there. That is not what the apostle's saying. The apostle is saying that living is knowing and serving Christ. That's what living is to him. He's excited about living, even though he's in jail, even though he doesn't know what his future is. He's excited about living. And to die, I'll just know him and serve him better. That's the difference between living and dying. In other words, I'm alive now and I love Jesus, but when I die, I'll just get more of Jesus. And a Christian 
A Christian is defined in the Bible, not defined in what we might happen to think it is, is someone who has repented and believed, someone who has turned to God, realizing that their back was to God. They're ignoring God. They didn't care about God. They turned to God and they put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and then they are bound to Jesus Christ. They are attached to Jesus Christ in both life and death. The Bible uses such language as saying you are now in Christ or Christ is in you. Inseparable, whether it is in death or in life. That means in a life of a committed follower of Jesus Christ, we will joyfully embrace some of the burdens of the cross-centered life. There will be difficulties for us. To think that life should always go easy for us and there should never be any problems is ridiculous. That was not Jesus' life. Why should it be the life of his followers? Another one of the Apostle Paul's mission statements, if you will, Galatians 2.20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh Not the way I used to live, the way I live now. I live by faith in the Son of God. And what's the motivation? He tells us, who loved me and gave himself for me. If you want to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, that has got to be your motivation. His love for you, his giving himself for you for you is the motivation for you. It will produce a desire in you to love him and to give yourself to him. Now, the Apostle Paul, as we've said in our studies in the book of Philippians, is what we call a representative disciple. A disciple is simply a learner and a follower you know, we think now in our kind of church age, well, there's Christians and then there's the disciples. You know, they're the, they're the really hardcore people. The Bible doesn't make such a distinction. They went from being called disciples to Christians. They don't make such a distinction. Now, there are different ways in which we follow, that's for sure. But the Apostle Paul, as a representative disciple, shows us how we are to try to live. He's perfectly willing to admit that he's not perfect. He's perfectly willing to admit that he has certain struggles. His struggle this morning is an odd one. We'll come to in a bit. But he tries to live with Jesus Christ and the word of God, the Bible, at the center of everything and anything that he does. He puts Jesus Christ and the word of God at the center of the things that he thinks of, of the things that he does. But please, friend, remember this. If I ever forget to say it, it is always with the help of the Holy Spirit. You say, how do I know the Holy Spirit is active in my life? Do you want to live for God? Then he's active in your life. The Bible says, none seek after God, no, not one. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing, nothing of any spiritual value. So the fact that you just want to live for God and the fact that you're having victories in your living for God is a sign to you that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. And so as we desire to live for God, we ask God to help us more by the power of his spirit. Why? Because even though the Bible promises when you come to believe in Jesus that you no longer experience the penalty 
of sin. You're no longer under the power of sin. You and I still experience the presence of sin. Any of you experience the presence of sin in your life? Don't look at me. Ask your wife. She'll tell you, right? Ask your husband. Ask the people who work with you. Walk into work tomorrow. Have you noticed any sinful tendencies in my life? And then get a cup of coffee because it might be a long one. And it's not until death that the battle with sin will be over. And then we will no longer be dealing with the presence of sin in our lives. So what does that mean for a follower of Jesus Christ? It means that long-term, the outcome is certain of how things are going to work out. But until that time, the timing and actually how it works out in our life, the specific path we take in our life is certainly uncertain and up in the air. Therefore, we must what? We must trust Christ. Too often I think we're guilty in the church in America of telling people you need to trust Christ so you can have the forgiveness of sins and have eternal life, and we're neglecting to tell people you better get used to it. You're going to have to trust Christ. If you want to walk with Jesus Christ, you and I are going to have to trust him, trust his word, get into his word, get the word into us, and trust the power of the Holy Spirit daily. We're going to have to turn to God daily. We're going to have to repent daily because the presence of sin, the presence of self-centeredness, the presence of us only thinking of ourselves at times is real and alive in our lives. Now, if you're here today and you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to thank you for being here today. And I want to just teach you something very, very basic about Christianity, that if you learn nothing else today, you will learn this. Christianity is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Christianity. Christianity is not behavior, although behavior is important. Although your behavior without Christ is really just that. It is behavior without Christ. The Bible says that anything that is not of faith is sin, so you must have Christ, but Christianity is not behavior. Christianity is not about which political party you belong to. I know that's blasphemous for some people, but it's not. Christianity is not about a set of way we wear our hair and the way we dress and the way all these other things that we do. Christianity is Christ. Christianity is not sacraments. The Bible, the New Testament teaches two sacraments, okay? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. But that is not Christianity. Christianity is Christ. Church, Christianity is not church, Come with us on our outreach and you say to people, are you a Christian? And they'll go, yes. How do you know? And they'll go, I go to church. That's not what makes someone a Christian. Someone is a Christian who has turned to God and put their trust in Jesus Christ. Now, is church important? Absolutely. The Bible tells us to go to church, but it is not Christianity. It is impossible to understand Christianity without knowing Jesus Christ personally. How many of you know people who seemingly walked with the Lord for a little bit of time or even years and then they gave up? We all know people like that. Why? Because it was whatever, but it wasn't knowing and experiencing Jesus Christ personally. Or we know people who have followed Jesus for a season and then they just end up really off, really weird, really against the word of God, even though they might say that they are believers in Jesus. They have not known and they have not experienced Jesus Christ personally. So where does it start? I've already said it a number of times. You turn to God and you put your trust in Jesus Christ. 
And at such point, you enter into fellowship with Jesus. What is fellowship? A friendship, if you will, an intimacy, if you will, and then you begin to follow Jesus. Now, some people, very obvious, Eeyore Christians, we just talked about them, they seem to lack joy in their walk with God. Do you know any Christians like that? Some of you look like you need another cup of coffee, or you might be that, right? What is it that someone who lacks joy, I can pretty much tell you it's usually this, they lack fellowship. They're not, if you will, refueling their Holy Spirit tank with the Word of God and meeting with Jesus on a daily basis and getting into His Word. So here is the real question for all of us, and it is quite soul-searching. You don't need to yell it out. You need to just finish this sentence. For me, that's what he says here, right, in verse 21, to live is blank. What does it mean for you to live? What do you live for? And let me ask you this. When you die, will that be the end of it? There are many things that we can live for, right? But when we die, death will snatch them out of our hands. And the apostle says, my, my philosophy of life is I'm not going to live for anything. It's not going to be my primary motive of something that can be snatched out of my hand by death. So I choose to live for Christ. This is why the Roman Empire had absolutely no idea what to do with the early Christians that they arrested. I mean, the apostles would come into a town, Apostle Paul and his church planting entourage, tell people about Jesus, people would be healed, demon people would start following Jesus, all kinds of weird stuff would be going on, and then the, the politicians would be like, what's happening to our city? All these weird people are now becoming Christians, we don't know what to do with them. And they would threaten them, but they realized that these people embraced a way of living that was not limited to earth that they embraced a way of living that saw beyond the grave to another life all the way into eternity. They didn't say when they appeared in court, okay, just kill me, just kill me. I mean, life is miserable. I hate it, this is bad. No, they didn't say that, why? Because life wasn't miserable for them, even when they were under arrest, because their life was full of Jesus Christ. They were rich in spiritual blessings in the fellowship they had with Jesus and the fellowship they had with one another. The idea here of gain, he says, and to die is gain. The idea is for a committed follower of Jesus Christ that we keep gaining more of Jesus each step we take. We are to keep gaining more of Jesus with each day that passes. And the apostle Paul would say, that's why I love to live and that's why I wanna keep living but it's also why I'm okay with dying. That's why I'm not holding on to either one of them so tight because I want to know what it is that God's plan is for me. Now let's remember, he's in jail on false charges. Let's remember there have been other preachers who have been publicly against him, but he has joy. You see, as we're going to see, he has a very unique struggle that he's going through in this section of the letter, and it's not his problems, although his problems are real, because his problem is simply this, his struggle is simply this, is that each fork in the crossroad has Christ. If I live, it's Christ. If I die, Christ. If Caesar lets me out of jail, Christ. If Caesar cuts my head off, Christ. 
So no matter what happens for a Christian, the end is Christ. So his philosophy of life is that no matter what happens, I will gladly and joyfully live with Christ. I will gladly and joyfully serve Christ, the Savior, as we quoted in Galatians 2.20, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, before we move on, let's at least consider that. Isn't that true freedom? I mean, isn't that wonderful? That even though the problems of life are real, you're saying, you know what? I know that the Lord will take care of me. I know that no matter what happens, it will end up well for me because Jesus loves me and Jesus gave his life for me. That's why we struggle a lot of times with our guilty consciences, right? Because we're not loving him. We're not giving our life for him. And we struggle in our decisions. Number two, the apostle Paul had a theology of death. He thought about death. Look at verse 22. He says, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Now, let's just stop there for a second. What is he saying here? If I live on in the flesh, now flesh in the Bible can be either your sinful nature or it can be just your body. So he's saying, if I live on in my body, it will mean fruit from my labor. If I get out of prison, more people will hear the saving message of Jesus Christ. More souls will come to faith in Jesus Christ. There'll be more maturity among the people who are already followers of God. But notice this and notice this well, Christian friends. He says here, fruit from my labor. Many people say, in my own personal ministry, I'm not noticing any kind of fruit. It takes work. Fruit from my labor. Fruit from my work. No work, no fruit. Maybe you're saying, my life, no fruit. You have to ask yourself, is there work? And then he goes on, and actually, this section to me is a little bit on the funny side. He says, yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two. Let's just stop there for a second. He says, you know, (laughs) okay, living and dying. Hmm, if the choice was mine, it's hard to decide. I really can't make up my mind. And he tells us, he explains it to us, having a desire to depart. Let's stop there again. That word depart, we know would mean die, right? But it actually literally means to break camp. So you're camping. He says, I'm camping here on earth, right? It might be time for me to depart, pack up the tent, pack up the campsite and go home. It can also apply to the untying of a ship. I'm in a port, but it's not my home port. Untie the ship and then I'm going to go home. So he says, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Do you see how he sees death? He sees death as breaking camp, as being a ship that is untied, that is departing to be with Christ. That's what death is all about to him. And as much as to live as Christ, as much as he loves living, as much as he's embracing the human experience, he says to be with Christ, to be dead, if you will, is far better. Now, death is no threat to a true Christian. 
And a true Christian realizes that we all live at the crossroads of life and death every day. This is why we try to make every day count. This is why life is so precious to us. This is why life is so important to us. And here, in dire circumstances, perhaps even on death row, the Apostle Paul is so calm. He's so clear. He's not freaking out. He's not flipping out. He's just writing as if everything was going to turn out fine. Pastor Jim will have more insights to share from the Gospel of Mark the next time you join us. You've been listening to Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kethney, teaching pastor of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. This message from the Book of Philippians is available to anyone who calls 973-659-3380. That's 973-659-3380. Keep in mind that we need today's date to ensure you get the right teaching in your hands. Again, you can get a copy of today's study on CD when you call 973 973- 659-3380 or by sending an email to info at changedbyloveradio.com Changed by Love also has a website with quite a bit of information The address is www.changedbyloveradio.com That's www.changedbyloveradio.com At the website, you can check out our additional resources, drop us a note or give securely to support the ongoing expenses of bringing you this program Changed by Love is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located at 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. From all of the production team, we want to say thank you for joining us today, and we pray that God's Word would change your lives in more ways than you've ever dreamed possible. Please mark your Bibles and join us next time as we continue our verse-by-verse teaching through the book of Philippians, right here on Changed by Love.